awe of Him. And hopefully you have been standing in awe of Him this morning as well. We come to a passage of Scripture this morning uh, that is very familiar to you in uh, John 11, and we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But I just want to ask you a couple of questions real, real quick first. Do you know everything? You say, no, but I know somebody who does, right? Or at least somebody who thinks they do. Well, do you understand everything? You know, there are things at times and situations we may face that we, we just don't get. But what we find in today's scripture is that we don't have to get it. We don't have to understand it, but we do need to trust Jesus. Because he gets it, and he understands it, and it's for his glory. So let's look at a passage of Scripture that reveals much, much, much about who Jesus is. But let's just see a few of those things this morning. And may we walk away in awe of him, trusting Jesus today. As we look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Quite a few verses of Scripture uh, but um, if you're able, would love for you to stand in honor and reverence to the Word of God. Uh, if you get tired during that time, if, you're, if you need to sit down, you certainly may. But I want us to read this passage as a familiar passage about Lazarus. It tells us in John 11 that a certain man was sick of Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? But Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so when Jesus came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when he had said these things, she went her way and 
Secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come, is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, after groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God this morning. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for who we see Jesus is in the midst of this story, this event, this passage. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today. To remember again afresh and anew is who you are. Lord, may it affect us and may we stand in awe of you. And Lord, may we be changed and challenged by it. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in every heart and life. There are those here that don't know Jesus today. May this be the hour of salvation. For those of us who do, Father, may it be a time of refreshing and renewal of our spirits. But Lord, may you comfort us where we need to be comforted. Where you challenge us, Lord, where we need to be challenged. May you guide us by your spirit and lead us in ways in which we do not even know. But Lord, we pray that you would have your way in every heart and life. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're looking at this topic of Lazarus come forth. And if you will see your bulletin there, you have an outline there. And we're going to look here first off and see that he is Lord. He is Lord. And we see also the first sub-point that he is Lord in our dilemmas. He is Lord in our dilemmas. In, the first, in verse 3 in chapter 11, we see what is, what is the dilemma here. How is he Lord in the dilemma? But what is the dilemma that we see here? Well, first off in verse 3, we see, Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, Mary and Martha sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love is sick. The one that you care about is sick. But what does Jesus do? We find in verse 5 and 6, Jesus does something a little unique here. It tells us in verse 5 and 6, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he went right away. No, that's not what it says. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
Two more days. That's the dilemma. And then as we see here in verse 21, we see that Martha says something to the Lord as uh, Jesus two days later gets there, uh, or rather three days later gets there. He says to Martha in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then he goes and he sees Mary in verse 32. And Mary looks at him. She comes. She falls at his feet. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, they say exactly the same thing. Apparently, they had talked about, where is Jesus? There's a dilemma here. Where is Jesus? The dilemma, if you can imagine being Martha and Mary... These are two women who had been with Jesus, who had walked with Jesus, who had loved Jesus, who had been with him and who had cared for him and cared about him. And so here they are, and they've sent to him that their brother Lazarus, whom he loves and whom he knows, is sick. And so Jesus does not come. He does not come as quickly as they think, and and Lazarus, their brother, has died. They have to be thinking, we just don't understand. We just don't understand Jesus, we, we, we've seen you do amazing things to people. We've seen you do amazing things to the unclean. We've seen you do amazing things to the demon-possessed folks. We've seen you do amazing things to people that you have just encountered. But Jesus, we are the people that you love and who love you. But Jesus, we are the people who are, are close to you. We, we just don't understand what it is that you are doing. Where are you, Jesus? And where, why are you waiting so long? Jesus, just where are you in my dilemma? I wonder, friend, has that ever been you? Well, you did not know where the Lord was. But Lord, I pray. Lord, I spend time with you. I spend time in your word. I go to church. Lord, I do the things I serve you. But where are you? Friends, if you've ever been in a situation like that where you've asked that question, where are you? Friends, you're in good company. Because we see in the book of Psalms over and over again, the psalmists write some of those very same things. We find just a couple of those in Psalm 13, verse 1. We find the psalmist is asking, how long? Psalm 13, 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In Psalm 69, we see the psalmist is asking and telling how he's cried out and been crying. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. I'm waiting in Psalm 119, 82, the psalmist is asking, when? My eyes fail from searching your words, saying, when, when will you comfort me? You see, friends, just as Mary and Martha wondered, the psalmist wondered, and many people wonder today sometimes where God is. Where is the Lord? Where is, why are you waiting? Lord, I don't understand. It's a dilemma. But friends, what we need to understand is this, is that the delay wasn't because Jesus didn't understand. And the delay wasn't because Jesus did not care. But friends, understand this, that his delay was because he loved them. And that love would be clear to them as he would show them more than they could have ever imagined. And verse 4, he tells the disciples, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, it was a dilemma to Mary and Martha, but it was not a dilemma for Jesus. 
He knew exactly what was happening. And this was for his glory. And as a matter of fact, Mary and Martha are about to see something. They're about to see a greater victory. It was for something better. Friends, sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. Sometimes we don't understand where Jesus is in the midst and why it's taking so long. But friends, we must trust Jesus because Jesus is about doing something better. Amen? There's a greater victory through Jesus Christ. You know, things aren't always as they seem to be. Amen? Things aren't always as they seem to be. I was reading a story once about a traveler. Between flights at an airport, she went to a lounge and bought a small package of cookies. And then she sat down and she began to read a newspaper. And gradually she became aware of a rustling noise. So from behind her paper, as she's reading this paper, she was flabbergasted to see a neatly dressed man helping himself to her cookies. Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over and took a cookie herself. Well, a minute or two passed... And then came more rustling, and he was helping himself to another cookie. And by this time, they had come to the end of the package, but she was so angry that she didn't dare allow herself to say anything. And then, as if to add insult to injury, the man broke the remaining cookie in two, pushed half across to her, and then he ate the other half, and he left. Well, she... Still fuming, sometime later, when her flight was announced... The woman opened up her handbag to get her ticket, and to her shock and embarrassment, she found her unopened pack of cookies in her own bag. (laughs) Whoo, mercy. You see, friends, things are not always as they seem. Amen? And listen, friends, brothers and sisters, listen. You may not be able to see the answer to what your question is for the Lord. You may not understand it, but this is what you need to do. Trust Jesus because he is in control. And hear this. He is Lord and you are not. Amen? He is Lord and we are not. He is Lord over in all of our dilemmas. Things are not always as they seem. And then the second part of that is that he is the Lord in our dangers as well. He is Lord even in our dangers. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. It says that after this, as he stayed two more days in the place where he was, verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus is telling them, after Lazarus has died, we're heading back toward Jerusalem. And the disciples are looking at him and said, we're going to do what? We're going to do what, Jesus? You see, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is thinking or where he is leading because you need to understand that there is danger in Jerusalem. 
That's what they're saying to Jesus here. You're going, you, you mean you, you want to go back into the enemy territory where they're out to get you? You say, look, look, Jesus, things are going really good right here. And, and we, don't, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen once we get back to Jerusalem. It's just the unknown. It may not end well if we go back to Jerusalem. But friends, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord even in our perceived dangers. And he says something to them, verse 9 and verse 10. He answers and says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Well, what is he saying? Well, what he's saying here is that Jesus knew that he was in the daylight of doing the Father's will. That there was a mission that he needed to accomplish, and it is still daylight for him. But if indeed there were 12 hours, then if there were this 12 hours, then Jesus also knew that at this point in his ministry, then he was in the very far end of the 11th hour. He is saying that he would accomplish his purpose, no matter what. He knew what was ahead. He knew this going back toward Jerusalem, and indeed, this miracle itself would be the pivotal moment when the religious leaders would plot his death with a sense of real determination. This would be what changes things, and Jesus knew that. As a matter of fact, in verse 53, it tells us about these religious leaders in John 11. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. It is a time where they are determined that Jesus is going to die. But even in these perceived dangers that the disciples see here, Jesus is in control. Jesus is Lord. And even though there was a danger, there would be a greater victory. There would be a greater victory for the disciples as they go and they experience Lazarus rising from the dead. It would cause their faith to grow. And as Jesus goes into this dangerous territory of Jerusalem, friends, there is a greater victory not only for the disciples, but there's a greater victory for you and for me as well. As Jesus would go to a cross and be crucified and there he would rise again on the third day as well. Friends, listen, we may not always know why the Lord is leading us outside of our comfort zones or why he calls us to a difficult task or why he takes us on a path that may not make sense. But friends, those paths of obedience and even sacrifice lead to something better and a greater victory in and through Jesus Christ. Amen? We may not be able to see what's around the corner, And what we perceive to be a danger zone. But friends, as he leads us, we must trust Jesus because, get this, he is in control and he is Lord and you are not. Amen? We got that today? He's the Lord and we are not. Amen? Come on now. We'll make sure y'all awake with me this morning. So the Lord, Jesus is Lord. Secondly, he is life. He is life. Look at verses 21 through 24. Martha, we said this a minute ago, Martha said to Jesus, as Jesus has now arrived in this area in Bethany, he's, 
Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha here is thinking of this future resurrection that is to take place. But Jesus tells her something more in verse 25. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He says he is the resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And so he is the life in the then. That's the first part, in the then. And that's a little bit of a tongue twister, but here's the first subpoint. He is life in the then. T H E N. In the then. Meaning Martha knew of the resurrection that was to come when God's people would be with him. But she, but she is thinking only in terms of the resurrection by way of a doctrine. And as she's thinking in terms of a doctrine, Jesus is saying the resurrection is not a doctrine. Martha, resurrection is standing right in front of you. I am the resurrection. Notice, he doesn't say, I raise the dead or I perform resurrections. Rather, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, meaning he is God. And so the only people who will experience the resurrection must be united in him. The latter part of verse 25, he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, friends, listen. When we believe in Jesus, placing our faith in him, even though we may face the vehicle of physical death, we live on. Paul said, for me to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In John chapter 3 verse 15, it says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Life. You see, friends, Jesus is life in the then. He is the resurrection. He is standing right there in front of Martha, and he is here today, and he is offering us the same promise that he is the life in the then, in what is to come. He is life that is to come for us in the resurrection. But also, friends, he is not only life in the then, but he is life in the now. In the now. Look at verse 26. He says, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He shall never die. Listen, Jesus is life. Let me say that again. Jesus is life. All true life is in Christ. Life as God intended. Life where there has been a reconciled relationship with God. Life that is real. Life that is fulfilling. Life that is satisfying. Life that is abundant. And life that is not affected by death. Over and over and over again, we find John reminding us that Jesus is life. To the Samaritan woman, he says he's the water of life. To the hungry multitude, he is the bread of life. To the blind man, he is the light 
of life. To the sheep who follow him, he is the abundant life. And then when John writes also in 1 John 5, verse 12, he says that he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It sounds like to me that Jesus is life. Amen? He is life. Real life. Life that is to come in the then, but life that we have now, in the very now. But the question is found at the end of verse 26 where he says, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Friends, I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life? Nick Ripkin, in one of his books, said, You know, if the resurrection is real, it changes everything. Amen? It changes everything about how we live. But not only is he the resurrection... But he is also the life. He is what life is supposed to be. Everything through him is life. And so if we really, listen, if we really believe that Jesus is life, then why do we try to find life in so many other places? Trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the things of this world only to find them to leave us empty. We try to accomplish life on our own, in our own way, but we find ourselves still searching, still longing, and feeling defeated over and over again. Friends, we must realize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, for he is life. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I don't know if you've ever trimmed back your bushes or not, or your hedges, whatever you call them at your house. We call them bushes at our house. But if you trim those bushes off and, and you cut off a limb, a little branch, and you, you see that thing on the ground, you know what? That little branch is going to die, right? It's not going to continue to live. There's no life in that branch. The life is in the vine. It's in the, the bush itself. And so, friends, for us to have life, we are to be connected to Jesus. We are to be united to him, be in him, at home in him. And he is that life in the then and in the now. So we are to trust him and really live. Trust him and really live. In just a few minutes, as we come to the end of our, invita- end of our service, we're going to give an invitation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Trust Him and really live as we come to that moment. He is Lord. Trust Him. He's in control. He is life. Trust Him and live. And then thirdly, He is the liberator. He's the liberator. He's the liberator of what? Well, He's the liberator of our despair. Now, just, just think about this scene, if you would. Think about this scene. Lazarus the brother of Martha and Mary, whom they loved. They loved to be with them. They ate together. They spent time together. Their brother has died. And Martha and Mary are grieving at the loss of their brother. Then you have these mourners who are there. Some, they, they would come in the Jewish culture. They would, it was a, a shame to have, or it was a shameful if you didn't have people mourning, and they had all these um, uh, mourners there with them. But then you also have the disciples who have who've come in, who are now coming into this situation, and they're not knowing the whole situation, but they know that Lazarus has died. And so Lazarus being dead, just there's a sense 
of despair. All seems to be lost. There's a great sense of despair, a great sense of hopelessness. There's nothing else that can be done, nothing else that we can do. But friends, here's, here's what we need to understand. But this is what we know since we know the rest of the story. Amen. We know what, what happens here. But if, you, if you're living that out and you're Mary and Martha and you see Jesus and you, and you know that Lazarus is dead, there is no sense of hope that he's going to come back to life. That's just it. It's over. There's a sense of despair and hopelessness. But see, friends, we come at it from our angle, and we know the rest of the story. And what we need to understand is that things, listen, things are never hopeless in the presence of Jesus. Did y'all catch that? Things are never hopeless in the presence of Jesus because he is the liberator of despair. You see, friends, no matter how hopeless you think a situation may be, Jesus is the answer to liberate you from that despair. Paul, when he begins to write his, his uh, letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, he says, he starts out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Meaning that the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. In Psalm 61, verse 2 and 3, we find these words from the psalmist. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Jesus Christ is that rock, friends. He is our shelter. He is that tower. And we can go to him when we're overwhelmed because he is our hope. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Amen? When you've been in those times of life when life seems to overwhelm you. And there seems to be no hope. And all seems to be lost. And there seems to be despair of not knowing what's going to happen next. What we find is that in the presence of Jesus, there's always hope. And what we find here is that Mary and Martha find that what seems to be a hopeless situation and despair. That at the presence of Jesus, he takes that hopelessness away. And what we see is that when Jesus, listen, when Jesus takes over, things begin to happen. When Jesus takes over, things begin to happen. And in verse 39, we see Jesus begins to take over. Up until this point, he's just asking questions. He's talking to them. But then in verse 39, we find that he said, take away the stone. He issues a command. They need to do something. Take away the stone. He's in charge of the situation. And what we find is that something's about to happen. But as he says, take away the stone, even Martha then uh, protests and says, but, but Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. In that, in that climate, that warm, arid climate, in four days, indeed, the body had already begun to decompose. And she knew that there'd be an odor that came with that body now. He's already gone, Lord. He's decomposed. It's, it's, it's over. But Jesus says, take away the stone. Because there's no need to despair. He is in control. And so, friends, what we need to understand is that 
No matter what you may be facing in your life, no matter how hopeless a situation may be, no matter how much you think that it's over, turn your life over to Jesus and let him have control over you. Let him be in charge. That there's, there, they, there may still be times of difficulty, yes, but there will always, always, always be hope in Jesus, always. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 through 9 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us, that we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, that we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. That comes through Jesus Christ. No matter what we face in this life, we are not in despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. Because we have Jesus. He is the liberator of despair. Amen? Not only is he the liberator of despair, but he is the liberator of death. Did you notice here in verse 33, when Jesus has come now to where they are, he's talked to Martha, he's talked to Mary. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? All right. Verse, then you move over to verse 38. It tells us again, then Jesus groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. We see this word groaning. What does that word mean? What is, what is Jesus doing as he is groaning in his spirit? Some translations as he was deeply moved. But the word really means something even greater than that, something even deeper than that. That is that he was irritated. He was, the word means to rebuke harshly. It means that literally it means snorting like a horse. <laughs> That's what the... the what Jesus is dealing with. So what is this that he's displeased with? What's going on that makes Jesus angry or indignant in this situation? Is it the woman, the women here not knowing what he's about to do? No, that's not it. Was it that the Jews lack of faith in their hypocrisy? Well, that has potential, but I don't think that's it either. Rather, what he's indignant about is death itself. He's indignant about death. Tim Keller writes in his book, he says, Jesus is looking squarely at our greatest nightmare, which is the loss of life, the loss of loved ones, and Jesus is incensed. He's mad at evil and mad at suffering and death. You see, friends, because of sin that came in the Garden of Eden, death also came, but it was not God's perfect design. And so Jesus groans about this enemy. He groans. He is incensed about this enemy. But guess what? It's not over. Amen? It's not over. You see, Jesus has power over death. He is the liberator of death. He is God and he is in control. And see what he says there in those few passages. He says to take away the stone or roll away the stone. He tells them to believe and see the glory of God. He prays to the Father, says, Father, I thank you for hearing me. And then Jesus does something else. He cries out with a loud voice in verse 43 and says, Lazarus, come forth. And our great forefather, church father, Augustine said, had Jesus not used the name of Lazarus, every dead man within the sound of his voice would come forth. Amen. 
And Lazarus came forth. Lazarus came out of that grave. Bound. Not decomposing. But alive. Oh, the power of Jesus. Amen. The liberator of death. Lazarus comes out and he liberates Lazarus from death. And guess what, friends? He does the same for you and for me. He liberates us from death. Now, I want you to realize something as we think about this event. Jesus went back toward Jerusalem knowing full well that this would lead to his own death. But he did it anyway. And he did that for Lazarus. And he did that for Martha and for Mary. And he did that for his disciples, for God's glory, for their faith to grow. But friends, you need to understand something. That Jesus went back to Jerusalem here knowing full well what was going to take place. He did that also for us. For our salvation. You see, friends, listen. This world in which we live in is a world of death. There's so many things that keep us in bondage in this world. Sin keeps us in bondage. The guilt of some past sin will keep us in bondage. The fear of the unknown, fear of death can keep us in bondage. The desire, the desire that we have to prove ourselves to our peers, to the people around us, and even to our family. And all these things, they keep us locked away from what is real life, that what Jesus has to offer. But what Jesus does is that he liberates us. When we are saved by Jesus Christ, as he calls us to himself, and we respond in faith, what is it that Jesus does but that he also rolls away the stones in our lives, and he releases every one of us from every bondage in our life? Listen, friends. As we look at this story today, his glory, the glory of Jesus, the glory of God is displayed when old dead Lazarus lives. But you need to also understand something else, that the glory of God, the glory of Jesus is also displayed when dead Joey Anthony lives as well. And when dead you live as well. When he changes you from dead to life, friends, God gets the glory. Because what did you do? To deserve your change of status. What did you do to deserve his salvation? Absolutely nothing. But God in his grace has saved us by his grace. And he gets the glory. Taking a sinner like me. All of us are sinners. And changing us to make us more like him. And giving us hope. Reconciling us to the Father. Forgiving us of our sin. And giving us eternal life. Life now and then as well. It's only through Jesus who is the liberator of death. We're to trust him and be free of despair. And trust him and be free of the bonds of death. Now there's three to-dos real quick. Over and over again in John 11 we see that Jesus says to the people that they need to believe, to believe, to believe. And so the first to do is this. Believe him. He is in control. Things are not always as they seem. Amen? But he's in control. Believe him. And the second thing you need to do is believe him and really live. Really live now and then. 
the life that he offers us now, believe Jesus, walk with Jesus, and have life now and then. And believe him, thirdly, believe him and have freedom. Believe him and have freedom of despair and have freedom of the bonds of death. He is our hope. And as he has changed your life and changed our lives, we see the glory of God in and through us. And friends, what that makes us do is we stand in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd be with us this day. For those who are here today who don't know Jesus, may they know that this is the hour of salvation, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. They could just simply take that step of faith today, trusting you, Lord, to save them from their sins. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to realize we're sinners just like they are, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that we need to turn from our sin and turn to you. We embrace believing with all of our heart that you're God's Son who died on the cross, who rose again body from the grave, and that we profess you as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. So, Lord, I pray that you would help those who need to take that step of faith today, trusting you as Lord and Savior of your lives. But also, Father, we pray that you'd be with those of us who know Jesus as Savior to be reminded today that you're in control because you're Lord and we're not. That you are life, our hope for what is yet to come, but also the life in the here and the now. And that you're the liberator of all of our despair. You give us hope. You're the liberator of death. Death has no hold on us. And we don't need to live in a world of death, having the bonds of death upon us. But you have freed us from those shackles. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd free us up today. That you would receive the glory, the honor, and praise in and through our lives. And, Lord, we pray now that as we come to this invitation, that as as we're about to sing, that as we sing, Lord, you would deal with our hearts that we'd make decisions of of commitment for you're the one who's inviting us lord to walk with you to be obedient to you to be faithful to you we'll give you the glory honor and praise for it's in jesus name we pray amen we're going to stand and we're going to sing my jesus i love thee